Tom threw Tim three thumbtacks. Oh no. <laughs> Tom threw Tim three thumbtacks. Tom threw Tim three thumbtacks. He threw three three free throws. <laughs> it's hard. I can't do it. So he threw him th- what? Tom threw Tim three thumbtacks. He threw f- mm-hmm. three free throws. Oof. Oof. Nailed it. Big Nailed oof. it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Are We All Met, the podcast where we endeavor to connect with our community of performing artists emerging, working, and in progress during the COVID-19 pandemic and find out how we're moving forward. I'm Anna Atkinson. And I'm Sean Haid. We have a very special episode for you today. For the first time in the history of the entire world, we have two guests for this episode. Woohoo! Hey! <laughs> yes, today we are talking to Jacqueline Grossman and Vanessa Kroon. All four of us have studied or are currently studying at McGill University in voice. I'll read about both of you in alphabetical order of last name. Uh, Vanessa is a Montreal based soprano, currently a young artist at Opera de Montreal. She worked as part of the inaugural Portfolio Artist Collective for Opera.ca this summer and is passionate about pursuing multiple income streams as a performing artist, community engagement, and promoting accessibility within creative industries. Vanessa is a Leo Virgo cusp, and her son and rising are in cancer. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) And we have Jacqueline Grossman. Jacqueline is quickly defining what it means to be a portfolio artist. Comfortable in roles both on and off stage, Jacqueline is a recent graduate of McGill's Diploma in Opera and Voice, and she is a dramatic soprano deeply obsessed with all things Wagner. She is the founder of the charity, The Phoenix Leadership Project, and this year she will be developing Opera.ca's Link Emerging Artist Program and Fellowship. Jacqueline does not know her sun sign, but we are here to reveal to you that you are a Leo. So congratulations. Woohoo! Wow, I didn't Leo know that you were a Leo. Signs? Wait, is sun sign the regular one? Yes. Oh, oh. sure. <laughs> wow, this is a great start for me. <laughs> um, I'm sure you can tell we are very excited for this episode. Um, if you're listening to this podcast in the future, in like, 2030 or something you're probably saying right now oh my god how did they get a hold of Jacqueline and Vanessa they literally run the world now um, both of them are incredible singers and really brilliant leaders and we're so so lucky to be talking to them today thanks for yes. having us guys <laughs> <laughs> these two work so hard both on the singer side and the admin side of side of the room and we are so thankful that they do because they kick ass they even have a duo name but we'll get to that later <laughs> Let's start it off, as always, with our book game. We'll start with you, Jacqueline. What book do you have for us today? So I was just doing some light reading last night, um, just casually going through top to bottom this little book I have in my room. So I have the complete works of William Shakespeare. Just a light, quick read. Yeah, just something small before bed. (laughs) Puts you right to sleep. Yeah, exactly. And like... You don't want to have too big of a book before you sleep so that you're not staying up all night, but yeah. Yeah, great. Can we please hear page 827? Of course. Let me just find it. I'm sorry. Okay. There is no harm intended to your person, nor to no Roman else. So tell them, Publius. Okay, we have a city and we have a character name. That's a good hint. That's really strong. Can I oh, submit my from guess? From Ario Dante. <laughs> <laughs> by Mozart. Yes, actually. it is Ario Dante by Mozart. No, sorry, it's Tito. That's what I meant. I it's actually, actually Tito. I, I, should have I didn't mean Ario Dante. I meant Tito, and then I said Ario Dante. It's because McGill's like, done both operas. It's yeah. by Tito by Mozart. Yeah, uh, okay, thank you for your guess. Uh, anyone else? <laughs> I'm going to say Julius Caesar. Okay, so actually Vanessa is right. Oh, <gasps> damn it. No, it's Sean. It's Sean. That's actually really impressive, Sean. <laughs> Vanessa, what book do you have for us today? Okay, so I have a cookbook. So it's similar to Shakespeare, but instead of like literary rhymes, like it's cooking up like food items. 
Um, so mm. I don't think Shakespeare rhymes in his plays, but I don't know. I was trying to like do something there, but anyway, he does. Sonnet, <laughs> um, sometimes he rhymes, you know, anyway. Um, okay. So yeah, so this book, so I am a celiac, so I can't eat gluten, which sucks. So and I only mm. found out like nine months ago, which is like super fun. Like obviously I had it my whole life, but like you have this like fun, like little surgical procedure and like some blood things and they're like, oh, wow. your body hates gluten. And um, yeah, so it's pretty tragic. So when I, when I got my diagnosis, my, one of my best friends from home bought me this book called How to Be Gluten-Free and Keep Your Friends. Um, funny. Has it worked? So, because everybody it, hates gluten free. That's true. Gluten free people like I see it. So this one. So this is this book talks about all different types of foods throughout the day, but this is in the brunch chapter. So Ooh, it says best foods. Brunch is one of life's simple joys. Don't miss out by believing toast is the be all. Think bigger. Tedgery topped with a steaming egg halloumi with a side of grilled toms, spinach and bean or a loaded tor- corn tortilla. All yum. So, wow. Bravo. Bravo. Yeah, thank Brunch you. doesn't start and end with toast. Why don't we open up our conversation? Um, I just want to ask you both, what is your definition of portfolio artist? Ooh. Good question. <laughs> Does you want to go first or do you want Vanessa's laughing um, and speaking third person. Um, <laughs> I, my definition of portfolio artist, I feel like is like evolving daily. Um, I actually believe, like, I think it's kind of ridiculous that like we even say like portfolio artists because there's like so much stigma around like artists doing like other shit. But like no one calls Rihanna a portfolio artist because she like runs Fenty and is a singer that has won like a bajillion Grammys. Like no one calls like, you know, Jessica Alba a portfolio artist for being an actress and like running a beauty company, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's kind of funny in opera that like we have to like use that term when um, singers have like entrepreneurial endeavors. However, that is how I would describe it. I think a portfolio artist is someone who they do multiple things. They have a portfolio and that could be like all music related things like they could, or, you know, arts related, they could be a singer, director, photographer, whatever, or they could be a singer and a like programmer, you know, they do write code, you know, or they work for a nonprofit or something like that. So to me, it just means someone who has like multiple avenues that they pursue but I think that when you're an artist and you're like a creative person, whether you're working, you know, whether you're writing code or you're singing or taking photos, like everything you do is inherently creative or has some creative flair, even if it's something that seems like it's not as like creative as like a music job. But I think you're a creative person. So it's like everything you do is always going to be no, I'm like off. Like I don't even know what direction I stick with that. But <laughs> um, long story short, I dislike the term portfolio artist because I don't. Mm. It's like to me, it frustrates me that like we actually even need to use it. Like I'm an artist. Like I'm a person. Um, but I I think it's like necessary right now. I guess I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it just means doing like multiple things, working in music, doing other stuff like breathing. Um, I think every artist is a portfolio artist. I don't know. I also like, I, maybe other people will disagree with me, but like, I don't know. It's also like study historically, like most composers and, and performers, like they didn't just write music or sing. Like some of them were lawyers. Some of them like went to school to be doctors. Like some of them were poets. Like they also wrote like Ronaldo Hahn was like famously a really insane music critic. Like Ronaldo Hahn was like, you didn't Every want composer him to was a music critic. It was like their jam. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. But like today, yeah. you would say that person is a portfolio artist. Like totally. no one was like Han was a portfolio artist. They're like he was Ronaldo Han, and like he did a lot of things. And like yeah. that's just added to his like reputation and his creative output. And um, yeah, I'll so... like I'll agree and disagree <laughs> with you. 
Like, I, like, strongly agree that every artist is a portfolio artist. I think it's pretty much impossible to, like, do one thing in our, like, current day and age. Like, no one can do one thing. Whether it's, like, because of income or because of interest or just, like, how our society works. Like, even the simple act of, like, being a singer and, wow, that word, being a singer and managing your own social media account, you are, like, auto a portfolio artist already. Like, arguably, mm-hmm. that is what it is. So, <clears throat> for me, like, being a portfolio artist and having the term has been very helpful because I'm someone that, like, arguably, I've been a portfolio artist this whole time and, like, coming up through my undergrad and, like, early in my master's, I was told that it was shameful to be a portfolio artist and um, you shouldn't be doing these multiple things. And if you're not focused 100% on your art, you're not a dedicated artist. And so for me, it was like difficult to like admit the terrible fault of like doing other stuff. Um, And the term portfolio artist, I first heard it at the summit with Opera CA in 2019. And it, it, I felt like it gave me more permission to pursue what I was pursuing and feel confident in that. And it didn't really change anything for me. Like it didn't, um, I didn't start doing different things. Like it, no one gave me more permission than I had before, but it, it sort of helped me feel like there is a space where people are excited for someone who like me wants to pursue multiple things and I think being a portfolio artist also gives you a better opportunity to make a more meaningful impact on your community because I'm not just trying to create positivity and do positive things through my art. I can also do that through all the things I'm doing and feel confident and about pursuing all of those passions. Mm -hmm. Something you both talked about that has like a big chunk in the definition of portfolio artist is kind of a stigma or attitude to round like around what being a portfolio artist is so do you think this stigma has changed do you think it's starting to break down or is being further enforced over the last couple months in this pandemic I think it's actually starting to change and I think it was starting to change pre-pandemic and I think the pandemic has sort of like thrown it on its head which um don't get me wrong I'm not I am anti-pandemic however I think from the pandemic some like positive things have come and I think it's really important that we like see and acknowledge those things because it's important Mm -hmm. to find like joyful things right now and I think one of those is that we have recognized that artists need many skill sets and multiple income streams and the people who don't have those opportunities have been in a really terrible situation during this time. Um, And that's awful. And in my opinion, unacceptable that they have been put into the situation because a lot of the time it's not because they aren't capable or don't want to have these other skill sets or income streams. It's that they've been told that they shouldn't. So I think that the pandemic has sort of forced people to take a really good hard look at the realities of our industry and the realities of what we need as individuals and then say, you know what, this is what I personally need to survive or to be happy. And people I think are starting to move towards that rather than what they're being told they should want. And I think that's really exciting and really necessary. Um, Yeah, and I, I think that because we sort of, we're shining a light on this issue, we're starting to find ways to fix it um, slowly, but surely. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Jacqueline. I, obviously the last, like, whatever, six, seven months have been rough for, I think, the whole world. But if there's one silver lining of this time, I do genuinely also feel that this stigma around, you know, being an artist with, like, multiple income streams or even just, like, interest outside of music is no longer i mean yeah it's breaking down it's changing also out of necessity like you know i have like artists on my facebook that are like usually quite successful and like sing at big houses and now they're like looking for work and you know they're like posting on facebook and stuff like that about it and like it's not people are just like everyone's out of work like from top to bottom and Mm -hmm. so i think when like that realization kind of hits everybody there's there there's just no time for stigma um but i will say i still think that the problem is that it yeah it's it's like a 
an idea that's like bigger than um, opera in that like this whole like starving artist trope and the idea of like being a starving artist like sacrificing everything for your art which is kind of like it's a very poetic ideal but Mm -hmm. I have this theory that that like starving artist trope is actually it's also like weirdly enforced by the public because and like popular culture because people don't like to pay for art and they don't like mm-hmm. to, it's not that they don't like to, but they're, it's not, especially in North America, it's not as much in our culture to fund art, um, you know, as healthily as they could be. And I think that sometimes people like to use this like starving artist trope to like excuse um, like, like underpaying of artists or like undervaluing artists time. And it's like this whole like, oh, you're an artist. So like it's, it, you're used to being poor. Like you're used to not making money and like right. kind of having to scrounge by and I think it depends like what your art is like I know for me as a singer like I need to be able to eat and I need to be able to like have a nice place to live and I have to be able to afford like allergy medication and like you know this kind of stuff and like everyone knows like day-to-day life is like actually quite expensive and I don't think like the starving artist trope like actually works for anyone unless your artist, someone, something that I guess you can create from a place of like maybe fit more physical weakness. <laughs> I don't know how to like say that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have to be like strong yeah. and like well fed and and all that stuff. And and never mind like the anxiety and the toll it takes like mentally, like not having the money to afford rent and stuff like that. So I sometimes like lately I've thought about that a lot. How I hear this all the time. Like oh, you know, starving artist. Like oh well, that's just like the rite of passage for you. And and I'm like. I don't, I think people just kind of like to say that because it, it gives them, it helps them in their brain, like, understand why we, like, underpay artists or why, like, people mm. aren't so keen to pay artists, like, a living wage because you're also, a starving artist. Like, keep in mind, like, being an artist can actually be quite expensive, yeah. um, especially as a young artist who is, or an emerging artist who is currently training. It, it's quite expensive to pay for lessons, education, travel for auditions, um, whatever like else you might need in your training and your development it's it's mm-hmm. not cheap and then we we come into the huge socioeconomic divide in classical music because we are perpetuating this idea that artists shouldn't have multiple incomes um, or that to be an artist you have to you know be a certain way and it's only for and then it becomes an issue where it's only for a certain class of people because mm-hmm art is expensive and if we're encouraging artists not to find income streams and this is obviously we're talking about artists at later stages of their development i think socioeconomic issues for um artists art for young people is a whole different issue that obviously has nothing to do with young people having their own financial income but when we're talking about people later in uh the game and when they're able to work um i think everyone should be encouraged to do what they need and want to firstly feel financially secure um, but also to feel happy in their life um, whether that's happy from the work they're doing or that they're pursuing multiple passions or that they're just feeling comfortable I think it's important that everyone has that opportunity yeah I I think you both just touched on some really important points and you, you know like there's sort of this idea that the there's like a standard of someone who can afford all the lessons afford all the travel and not have to still do survival jobs or side gigs or you know be a waiter or whatever on top of that and if you do have to do those other things if you do have to like have survival jobs or whatever then you're not there's like an unspoken standard that if you have to do that then you're not meeting the standard of excellence of if you didn't have to do those jobs which is a really toxic idea yeah and it's creating this barrier to entry that's completely unnecessary yeah yeah i also think like there's and there's like there's an oversaturation of things at like the undergrad level especially in sometimes grad school level that people say are like necessary for training like summer programs for example like Mm. that is ridiculous okay you're going to school september to may like why do you need what is missing in your school program that you're already paying for that for some reason you need to you have to have in the summer and mm-hmm. they I, I think sometimes like young singers can be taken advantage of because they feel like they're not making enough connections like they're not getting enough exposure and I think 
I mean, at least for me when I was in school, I know I only ever did one summer program the whole time I was in my undergrad because I could never afford it. I had to work Mm -hmm. two jobs one summer and do a GoFundMe so I could go to this program in Italy, which I was so grateful I got to go. And it was an awesome experience. But, like, I know people who went to one every summer, and I always had this, like, anxiety that I, like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, and and then I found out when I got into the real world, like, yes, it's good to have that exposure and everything and all that kind of stuff, but I think what's actually more important is, like, teaching young singers, like, to be autonomous for themselves and, like, in charge of their own learning and, like, Mm -hmm. finding ways to, like, you know, hustle, kind of, and and at, at, at that age, like... I'm I'm off on like a, a weird tangent. Now. Well, I, I actually had I'm... a similar experience. Like I didn't do any um, summer programs in my undergrad, uh, and partially part of that was because it wasn't accessible to me financially, and part of it yeah. was because I it wasn't the right choice for where I was in my development. And I was really lucky that I was in a university program that was like supportive of that. My voice teacher constantly was saying like, "It's okay, like." you don't have to, it's not going to make or break your entire life. Um, But I know that's not most people's experiences. There's a lot of pressure to be going out and doing the most things all the time. And again, like I think a lot of the issues in classical music um, do come, like Vanessa was saying, from what's going on in our world today. And one of the things that I feel like our generation is, gets a lot of pressure on is who is the busiest and who is doing the most is Mm -hmm. the definition of who is succeeding. And I I think like doing the most things and only doing them okay, in my opinion, isn't as good as doing one or two things extraordinarily well. And Mm -hmm. also like those one or two things or three or four, whatever number is your comfortable number should include things like sleeping and managing your mental health and having a personal life. Mm -hmm. Like all of that is important. And this like obsession with, um, Firstly, youth, and secondly, with doing the most isn't helpful for an artistic career yeah. or any career, really. Yeah. I think the pandemic has really forced everybody to slow down and realize the value in those connections and being able to find your, your like niche and like really focus on your craft because you can't busy yourself with all of these external Mm -hmm. programs and external connections because the world the arts world has just shut down well yeah i mean i think it's helped a lot of people kind of purify or whatever their lives down to like the necessities and you realize like a lot of stuff before was just like busyness Mm -hmm. like just to seem busy just to kind of give a certain impression and I mean, I know I had that experience and, like, I had the chance to, like, actually sing for me for, like, the first time in, like, years. And I realized that I, like, actually didn't, I didn't like singing very much before the pandemic. Like, that sounds ridiculous, but, like, it was my job and, like, I loved it. Like, I I love music, whatever. I've grown up singing my entire life. But I realized when the pandemic started, I was like, yeah, I, like, don't even really like this right now. And, like, what is, it's, like missing me like it's like just it's you know it's something I'm like doing to like achieve and like forage my path in the world but I anyway and and I I'm grateful personally for the time to like yeah I don't know just sing for fun and like learn stuff for fun and yeah I like I'm so on board with that I like when the pandemic started like we were all obviously like thrown for a loop um, and dealt with the bajillion cancellations and, um, you know, not like moving for me and not saying bye to friends and school ending so suddenly um, and all those things. And, and at first I didn't really want to sing and I took a couple weeks off and I think it was really healthy for me. Mm-hmm. And when I started singing again, I sort of realized that I had developed a sort of unhealthy relationship with singing because it felt like there was so much pressure to sing really well all the time. And if I didn't, like the world would end and everyone would die, which is ridiculous. But like, that's how it feels sometimes when you're like in the bubble of school or, or a young artist program or just like society. (laughs) And so I, I realized like, I felt this like extreme pressure to sing perfectly. And, um, I sort of like sat down with myself during this time and was like, this isn't, 
how you want to feel as an artist and this isn't healthy. Um, and I really work to sing from a place of joy and positivity. And for the first like month of the pandemic, I only sang um, what I wanted to and what made me happy. And I didn't sing anything that I felt like I had to, but didn't want to. And it was so liberating. And I feel like, um, I, yeah, I feel like I'm like coming out of it now feeling a lot more joyful about what I do when I sing. And when I sing, I feel a lot happier. So yeah, that it's certainly a positive. I completely agree with Vanessa. So as singers who have worked on both sides, you've both done admin you've both organized and then you've also been performers what do you think that you have learned from like how have you applied the singing aspect of your life to the admin side and vice versa and what do you think emerging artists need to take from both of those um well for me like i have been doing both for as long as like I honestly can remember so I think that like who I am on one side completely for informs the other side and it's always been that way and I think that that is a huge privilege and like opportunity that I've had that I grew up um, as a nerd like in student council and then good running conferences and going to conferences and um, working with charities and nonprofits like since I can remember and I also grew up in theater and then musical theater and then opera because I was so painfully shy. My parents put me in theater when I was four because I didn't talk. You <laughs> I know. Shy? It was so what? I literally wouldn't speak outside my house. It was wild. So yeah, I like I feel like both of my, who I am is completely informed by both and I feel like I bring both things um, to everything I do. So like easy examples is as an artist, like I bring my ability to collaborate well and adapt to different spaces and take risks and speak comfortably now in front of people and with people. My, I feel like I'm more empathetic. My interpersonal skills are stronger. I think that everyone who's in the arts learns those things as if they're a collaborative art form. I mean, my brothers who are both um, not in the arts, my parents made them take drama classes as well because they thought, you know what, like, at least these boys will learn these skills. And to this day, neither of them do theater, but they're super grateful that they, they learned what they did. And then like on the other side, I think that every artist should have project management skill sets um, and organizational ability, um, the ability to be professional and to present yourself professionally. I mean, when we apply for an audition, uh, and we need to send an email writing a professional email is the same skills that you use when sending a professional email as a in administration and I feel like I've heard so many times about how artists send really unprofessional emails and it's really unfortunate because maybe they would have had the opportunity and yeah, or I, they'll be like, Jacqueline, can you help me write this? Email? Well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't think that's artist's fault because I think that's a, like a failure in what they're being given and taught as part of their training. And I don't think that's anyone in particular's failure. Um, I just think that that is a huge gap that we're not filling, giving artists like professional skill set training, because not only will it help their other career whatever that is but it will actually impact their art and how much they can succeed writing a grant i mean easiest example totally if yeah. you can write a grant you are way more likely to find work in the arts so yeah. i mean why not have the ability to create your own opportunity if you're not currently hired for something i mean you know i will say um props to i do find the mcgill program does help I mean obviously like, no program is perfect but like I was shocked like coming out of the U.S. conservatory system where it's like just music I mean there's you don't do other stuff um and to come to McGill well to go to McGill and, and all of a sudden like my senior my first year grad school like we're taking a grant writing class and I'm doing the Upper McGill social media and stuff like that as my like work study yeah, I mean, yeah, I will say, like, I don't know, every school has its downfalls, every school has its, like, you know, pluses, and I think that that is the one thing I, like, um, found at McGill, which I thought was great, and I think part of that is also Patrick Hansen's um, program, what's it called, Upper McGill Experience Program, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
where you can be an assistant director. I did that. You can, you know, run social media stuff. Like, I think I, Jacqueline and I were, like, the first people to do the social media. I mean, I when I took it over, there was no Instagram. Like, we create. well, I created that, I guess, from, like, the ground. Um, <laughs> but, like, it didn't exist. And Patrick was, like, just whatever like do what you want but I'm not I mean it's not paid so they were he was like okay well like it's kind of like do what you will with it and what I thought was Mm -hmm. interesting is I found there were like a lot of people that were like well I'm taking a master's degree in music like I don't see why I need to be doing these like other jobs they're just like busy work but like kudos sorry yeah go kudos to someone like well firstly kudos to McGill for like encouraging us to be these like weird little unicorns who mm-hmm. want to do all these things and not just saying like oh cool I guess it's fine that you do that um, yeah. but saying like cool how can I support your dual interests yeah. and then you look at someone like Leah Johns who did the Opera McGill experience yes. did um, hers on social media loved it started Opera Shenanigans and, which is super successful and is now working for Lenny's studio and yeah, she's managing awesome. like some of the biggest art like managing social media for some mm-hmm. of the biggest artists in the industry like she's managing like Jennifer Rowley's social media presence right now as well as like so many other like huge names um Mm -hmm. because someone said to her you might have another skill set or an interest do you want to explore it so kind of like winding back to the main prompt which was how can you learn from like both sides of the equation and I think my biggest tip for anyone would be to try both like, hmm. just try it. Stop. Don't be scared of trying. Like, I'm horrified of doing something bad because I think that, like, everyone is going to be like, wow, Vanessa sucks all of a sudden. But, like, <laughs> just, like, try. Like, throw paint at the wall and, like, actually people give way less of a shit than you think. Like, people don't yeah. really care. They care about themselves. You know what I mean? So just, just try and then, like, something will work. Like, try that admin job. Like, Try the aria that you probably can't sing. Like, maybe don't put it on your Instagram, but, like, give it a go. You know, like, that kind of thing. Like, just try different things. Yeah. If you want to study rocket science, like, literally go do that and be an officer at the same time. And I promise you, like, if you walk into an audition and you, like, own the stuff that you do and you're like, I'm this person and I'm this person, like, people are going to think that's really cool, actually. Yeah. And there are certainly a lot of people who are still, like, being those gatekeepers who are not for this but there are fewer and fewer of them all the time and like i don't know my experience is that like similar to vanessa um as i've always i've always done different things and um i run a charity um that i started i now i'm on the board but in my first year my master's i was the executive director it's called the phoenix leadership project and um i remember that like i through my undergrad and like as I was preparing to go to McGill I took time between school and people said to me like don't tell the McGill cohort that you run a charity they're gonna think that is so dumb (laughs) I know (laughs) they were like you're they're gonna think you're not a serious singer and I was like okay yeah I'm gonna like actively like blatantly lie so that no one notices like this charity exists um, so I would, I was in Montreal for school at McGill and I'm from Toronto. My charity is Toronto based. Um, and I would go to Toronto on some weekends for like to run a fundraiser or like training or a conference or whatever. And I would like, just like fully lie, like to Patrick Hansen, I'd say like, Oh, I'm going to Toronto for an audition. And he'd be like, okay, cool. And I'd go and I'd do my charity thing and I'd come back to McGill and he'd be like, how was the audition? And I'd be like, Oh, it wasn't great. I didn't get it because like. I don't know. I couldn't tell him I got it because the thing didn't exist. Um, so he must have thought I was really bad at auditions because <laughs> I was going all the time. Um, and yeah, but then actually, that's life. That's audition life. So. <laughs> that's true. Um, and I remember like Aria Umazawa came in and um, worked with us on like just generally talking to us about things we want to pursue and sort of giving us coaching and mentorship on how to actively go after the things we want. And I remember I like shamefully admitted to her that like I ran this charity and she was sort of like, that's cool though. Like, why is this shameful? Stop. And eventually Patrick was like, yo, like, I know what you're doing. Like, why are you lying about this? Like, this is ridiculous. And I don't know, the more and more I've, I've allowed myself to like open up and lean into the fact that I do other things, the more helpful it's been for both my artistic and 
other career uh, wants and hopes and paths. Um, and there are still certainly people that I feel judgment from. Uh, and I certainly am still like nervous all, not all the time, but sometimes that people are going to be judgy and say, oh, she, she's an administrator now. She is a program manager yeah. now. She's not a singer anymore. But I guess the question is, are those people the ones whose opinions matter the most to me? And of course, like as a, an emerging artist, it's, it's not, po it's really like, I mean, it could be possible, but for me, it's not possible to say like, I don't care what anyone thinks and, and I'm just going to do as I please. But the hugely positive thing that I've gained in the last, especially six months is that people who I respect so much and who I imagined would have been those gatekeepers are actually saying like, that's really cool that you do those things and we should encourage more artists to pursue these like dual paths. And that's been shocking and exciting for me. And I'm really actively trying to challenge myself to share who I am and what I do, regardless of if it makes me nervous, because I think that we all, like, if we all challenge ourselves in that way, um, we can create a new path for artists in our industry. And I really think this is the way forward out of the pandemic. I think we need to create resilient artists who feel secure in who they are and secure in their life, regardless of if a pandemic hits um, or whatever else might come up because life happens. And yeah, I think that's just, that's what we need to have a successful, open, co like comfortable, thriving industry. Mm. Love. Love. Jacqueline for Prez. Oh my God. <laughs> Please. Yes. Um, Jacqueline for Prez. <laughs> Yes, that's actually Honestly. what I want to ask. We started off by saying that you do have a duo name. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that a little oh, bit? Yeah. The origin, the etymology, yeah. couple perhaps. name. Mm -hmm. Yes. So yeah, our couple name. I wish we had the photo. You guys aren't doing. There's no video, but there is like a oh. photo. We can we can put it on our our social media. Oh, oh God. I don't know if you want to do that. So basically, it's not cute. So Jacqueline and I are second year at McGill in our master's program, we were like the office administrators for the opera department for Opera McGill. Kind of like you guys are currently Sean and Anna, but it was just the two of us. And so people called us Zachland. We like came up with a name. I don't, was it us that came up with it? I think so. I, uh, I don't know. We blended it's our blur. two names like as a joke and we called ourselves Zachland. But I think it started, like, as a joke in Patrick's studio. Like, yeah. it was just so, like, started, we're Jacqueline. Yeah. And exactly. then he was like, no, that's a thing now. <laughs> yeah, because we were trying to come up with different ones. Like, I think we were doing, like, Janessa mm -hmm. or, like, mm -hmm. like Vaclessa or, like, things like that. Yeah. But we ended up with Vaclin, which, like, may or may not sound like an STD. Um, <laughs> like, it kind of sounds like something you don't want to like, get. Oh, like, oh, you have Vaclin. Sorry, bud. <laughs> it sounds yeah, like a Vaclin. medication almost. Like, did you take your Vaclin today? <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Ask your doctor if Vaclin is right for you. Yeah. Vaclin may cause. Blah, 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 blah. May cause. And then it's like, may cause death. Like, I love Will like, cause, cause death. Fatality. I'm like, that's cold. It might kill you. I don't know. Um, yeah, so Vaclin may kill you. But only because, only with like, like glitter. Okay, I don't think. I think it was Sean Jordan. He made so, a photo yeah. of like, what? Vaclin would look like by combining our faces um oh and my we God. weren't like, there when it happened like no like, and oh yeah oh, sorry sorry yeah, like all of a sudden like people came to us and they're like there's this photo of Vaclin like yeah. you can oh see it God. we all have and like, we were like circulated right? and didn't give it to us like it was like behind our back <laughs> like it like went out to people and we were like cool um and oh she she's not the cutest like i'm not no. gonna lie like she looks like she's having a hard time yeah oh well thank you so much we are slowly running towards the end of our time but i'm wondering is there anything else that both of you wanted to touch on that we didn't get to something you were hoping we'd ask you but we didn't anything else to throw out into the podcast realm we could we could say like embarrassing stories I don't, I don't actually really have any. I feel like I already told a lot of them. I'm trying to like, I haven't, like, can't think of anything that's like relevant. Like, I can easily on think stage of a mishaps. Lot. 
on stage mm. mishaps. Oh my god, give mm. me a second. I can't mm. like my brain is like you've never been on stage before. Like that's what happens. Like I know I have some, but when someone's <laughs> oh, like, "Tell me some. a funny thing that happened on stage," <gasps> oh, it's hard I have to think one. of them. Okay, some. yes. Um. Okay, so my like embarrassing stage story is in high school. I did this play called Once Upon a Mattress, um, and I played which like my Broadway days, and I played, um the evil queen of course because that's always the best character to be and it was like very like lady billows-esque in terms mm-hmm. of like her character and i wore this like massive gown like this like regal medieval thing and on stage there was this like really big hourglass like a glass hourglass and walking across the stage um someone knocked it over in the middle of like the <gasps> first scene of the show oh no and it shattered and like, oh no! It was just like a full on, like low key disaster, but also high key, um, because there was like sand. <laughs> yeah, there was like glass on stage and like sand. Oh no! Um, <gasps> and we didn't know what to do. And wow, the show actually had a lot of like mishaps. And um, and I remember like we're in the middle of the scene and we didn't know what to do. And I went in front of it and I sort of like made eye contact with my friend who was playing another character who was, she was like the jester in the court. And she, I just sort of did a like clean it up sort of situation and like proceeded to do the entire scene while like bossing the jester around (laughs) um, who like came on with like a broom. And like, it was like such it was a time. It was like a full experience. And we all were sort of like, are we going to step on glass now? Like, this is a really fun show. Um, no, but it was totally fine. And it was also high That's school. Hilarious. So it happens. Yeah. That's whatever. amazing. That's hilarious. I'm trying to think like, okay, there's like so many awkward stories. I think like one of the most like recent ones, I guess this isn't really like a mishap, but this is just like a like life of the singer vibe. And I was doing um, Turn of the Screw two wow, when, when was that? That was like the winter of 2019 with Opera Montreal. Like I was still at McGill and then I they like hired me again to play another boy. <laughs> so I played Miles in Turn of the Screw. <laughs> She's a brand, I like, people. I was a 23-year-old boy, right? How old am I now? Yeah, I was 23. So I was 23-year-old again playing like a child. But I think like the wildest thing about the show is that I had to puke on stage, right? So, because yeah. um, not every production Miles pukes, but our director's, like, um, kind of interpretation of the, the when Peter Quinn kind of, like, possesses Miles, like, in the end of the show. Mm-hmm. No spoilers. People don't want spoilers, but, like, you can just wow. see the show. So anyway, all for short, in the possession, in this kind of, like, what's the word called? When, like, a ghost is, like, removed from someone. Um, like an exorcism? Yeah. Yeah, there's like that kind of vibe moment and I had to puke. And so <laughs> we played around with like different types of puke for texture on stage. Oh and so like we used oatmeal, we had this like weird like brown mush that I think was like low-key like cookie batter, just like uncooked. And then like I think the worst one, like even thinking about it now was like broccoli soup. Oh, no. And Ew, like, say, yeah. like I don't think I could eat broccoli soup anymore and like how I'd have to like how we did it like for the show so it was like i didn't walk on with soup in my mouth but like it's because like the, the the lights were very dark so it's like a period where i'm like on stage and like peter comes kind of stalking me and then i quickly step into the wings and they take a shot of broccoli soup in my mouth which was always like lukewarm and then i walk on stage and then i'm just holding it in my mouth waiting oh my to puke and then i puke um, but we didn't end up using the broccoli soup we ended up doing using like this kind of like oatmeal like gruel mixture and i remember on one of the first nights like i puked and literally someone in the audience went like i (laughs) and then it was like really funny because we're in like we were doing it in a loft so we're doing it this place in the platform called the fast nomad so it's like this very like creepy warehouse which is really was really cool very halloween vibes that we did it in like january but anyway it was awesome like for the ambiance but like the audience stage you're close and so you have to kind of like walk to the puke after the show and so there's always like oh, this no. like watch over the puke oh, <laughs> playing little boys is fun <laughs> because it's like such a challenge dramatically and you really like mm-hmm. it's like so far from me and i i grew up like doing theater and and film and tv so i sometimes miss that like theater centric aspect of like in opera voice comes first all the time 
But like playing a little boy and like singing in like a boy soprano style, like I don't have to try that hard. You know, it's not like vocally challenging. Yeah. So it's like nice to get to focus on the theater aspect. So I like actually right. loved that role. I would play it again in a heartbeat. Maybe some yeah. people will think that's weird. Um, yeah. But it's super fun and you get to be like possessed on stage. If you do, I just get to play like the dumb, like ingenue. Like I like him, but like I'm married. Like. <laughs> And like I'm like you know I actually don't really play Zerlina but it's like you know like Kunaganda I love her but it's kind of like you know like mm-hmm. it's a bit old. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, we need to do social medias. So oh, where yeah, yeah, can yeah. people find you if they want to follow oh. you on the, the social media? Um, my Instagram is at Vanessa Kroom, so my. it's my full name, and then I have a website that's the same vanessacroom.com but it's like linked on my instagram mine is i have a facebook page oh my god (laughs) (laughs) i'm dead now i'm dead now (laughs) vanessa's available on all platforms i'm on on each one she'd like to receive recently got the facebook page and like no one has liked it so like if i liked it it. it. so go like vanessa's facebook guys i like her facebook page like my mom and dad liked it. it Your mom. I'm just like I'm insecure about it. You're doing great. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Oh Backland for life. Hashtag Backland. Oh, um, mine is at Jacqueline Grossman for all platforms of social media. Yeah, that's all mine. Nice. You, you have a Facebook page. I do not. It just feels like a lot of pressure. It is. It is. It's I don't. I don't want that pressure in my life. It's a lot of pressure. I literally had to text friends to go like it oh my god no i I don't want this please because it's really weird like basically like how it works with like facebook it's like if you don't have a lot of likes like it's actually hard to find your page like if you just search Um... Vanessa from soprano wouldn't even come up for a while because it had like two likes now i think it has more but high key drama with vanessa well if you're listening go like it and that won't be a problem anymore next week's episode facebook pages with vanessa croom see you vanessa from soprano It's really drama. I don't, yeah. I mean, I definitely post more on Instagram for sure, but I'm trying to be like a Facebook mom, you know. Anyway. That's what we all aspire to be. This has been a super fun episode of Are We All Met? This is episode nine. Oh my God. The lucky number. Three times three. Three times three. Three cubed. No. No. No, no, but it's one of my Leo lucky numbers. TBT <laughs> when I didn't know there. that I was a Leo, but did. <laughs> We're not math people. <laughs> I am not a math person. Yes, hire us for lots of stuff, but not, not math, math. Probably, please. Probably not math. <laughs> and okay. thank you to our audiences for listening as well. We really hope you enjoyed this. Um, and as I said at the beginning, <laughs> if you even hear Yikes. of opera, it, let me tell you, as I said at the beginning... <laughs> I, I no, lost I wasn't my... saying yikes to you, Sean. I was saying yikes to me. Sorry, I didn't know that was like, coming across. No, it's okay. I, I wasn't sure what I was saying. Um, <laughs> as I said at the beginning... you fear of opera. <laughs> oh, You've yeah. never heard of opera. Opera, opera. Opera. If you are... What am I... As I said as I... Vanessa, I have faith, I have as it was in the beginning. Just sing the Carrie Underwood song as the closing. You don't even know her last name. I think we have new Why theme music. <laughs> as I was That's saying earlier, if you go see an opera in Canada at any point in your life, it will be because of Vanessa and Jacqueline's amazing hard work. That we took so, so long that's, to figure that's out a, that sentence. That's a big shout out. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean no it. Pressure. I mean it. No pressure. Okay. But it's all on oh, you. Everyone Just should this totally entire care. industry. Can I, can I do one shout out? Actually, yeah. if you're, I'm like, I don't know if it's really loud. If you're in Montreal this fall, Opera de Montréal is doing Liberation Beaucoup de Moi. As like a world premiere, we're supposed to do it in March, but COVID, hashtag cancel all of that. So they're re- remounting it. End of October, beginning of November, there's going to be more info on the website. I think it's one of the only operas happening this fall in North America. Like, Woo-hoo! maybe the only one. Sweet. For yeah, a live audience. Cool. Social distance, so, like, a bunch of safety parameters. So, if it's, like, in your comfort level to come out, you should definitely 
check everyone out do it it's website. gonna be amazing it's also gonna be live stream but anyway it's gonna be awesome it's like written by Chiquitacua women um Laurence Chabillon Pascal saint Ange and um Jen Zito is playing the piano at the chamber opera with piano yes. so it's very That's cool so it's sweet. a modern answer to La Voix Women but like the modern and there's it's a trailer, good. right, on YouTube? Yes, I so there's a trailer that. on YouTube. Um, there's a little bit, like, on my Instagram, I think. Like, one of my highlight things. Cool. Um, but, yeah, we'll there's one like on YouTube. There's going to be more stuff coming out about it in the coming months. But um, it's happening. It's at yeah. the yeah. Yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it's, like, in a big theater so we can properly distance everyone. That's so that's fantastic. my show. That's so exciting. Yeah, singing. I have to get back in the state. Singing is happening again. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. I'm pumped. Wow. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Uh, our next episode is this coming Monday. Uh, so check back in. Thank you again for joining us, Vaclin. Um, and thank You're you, welcome. everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Thank you, Jacqueline. Perfect. Oh, my gosh. For saying that while I died of laughter. No, I, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm actually Sean. Thank you so much for joining us for episode nine of Are We All Met? Um, we have another episode coming out next Monday and a huge thank you to Vanessa and Jacqueline for joining us today. We had an absolute blast. Love you all. Bisou. Bye. 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 Ciao. Okay, oh, everyone be quiet for a minute, Sean. You were doing your, <laughs> like, join us next week. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> If you ever wanted, like, laughter therapy noises, like, I think that's a thing, like, laughter laughter is the best medicine. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of content here for you to work off of. ASMR laughing. (laughs) 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 I feel really unsafe. (laughs) That was a good vibe. Um, Okay, I'm going to say this and we're going to be done. I'm being quiet. Can I do this without laughing? Yes. TB continued. Um, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> no. Gotta do it. <laughs> you can do it. Okay. This is just like Tito. <clears throat> oh, my oh my God. God.